page, The African History Network, The African History Network, and our YouTube channel, Michael M. Hotep, I-M-H-O-T-E-P. It's Sunday, November 28th, 2021, and we're live. Welcome to the African History Network show right here on 910 a on the Superstation, the future of radio. Uh, we're going to uh, discuss the um, 400th year anniversary of what we have been taught is the first Thanksgiving that took place in 1621, okay, in uh, Plymouth, Massachusetts, 1621. And more and more people are learning, and I posted a number of articles uh, on uh, November 24th, Thanksgiving Day, uh, or November 25th, I should say, Thanksgiving Day, and um, dealing with the National Day of Mourning, the National Day of Mourning, which was first uh, celebrated in 1970. So this is the 52nd anniversary of the National Day of Mourning. But this is also um, the 400th year anniversary of what we have been told was the first Thanksgiving. And we've all seen a lot of, uh, a lot of paintings of the first Thanksgiving and uh, the pilgrims um, feeding the uh, Wampanoag uh, Native Americans. Well, for a lot of uh, Native Americans, they don't celebrate Thanksgiving. They have a National Day of Mourning. And uh, this year, 2021, is the 400th year anniversary of 1621, when we were told this was the first uh, Thanksgiving. Okay, so we're going to deal with some of that history. There was a big uh, article from uh, the Washington Post called This Tribe Helped the Pilgrims Survive for Their First Thanksgiving. They still regret it 400 years later. Okay, this tribe, and it's referring to the Wampanoag, uh, this tribe helped the pilgrims survive for their first Thanksgiving. They still regret it 400 years later. So we're going to break down this history and separate fact from fiction, as we usually do uh, here on the African History Network show. OK, separate fact from fiction. And we'll talk about how uh, Thanksgiving evolved into uh, the celebration that uh, it is today. All right. So we'll discuss that. And then uh, also we'll talk a little bit about the history of Black Friday. Uh, each year I see misinformation floating around. Uh, trying to associate the origin of Black Friday to slavery. I don't know where they're getting that nonsense from. Uh, notice when they do that, they don't cite any sources because there are none. It's just more nonsense. So we'll deal with some of the origins of Black Friday. We know Black Friday is the day after uh, Thanksgiving. And uh, it's usually the largest shopping day uh, of the year. Okay, so we'll deal with... Uh, uh, Black Friday as well, and deal with some of that history and the origins of Black Friday. Then I did a special broadcast on Wednesday, November 24th, uh, at our, a little past our regular time. We normally on Monday through Friday, 11 p.m. to midnight Eastern Standard Time, and Sundays, uh, 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. But Thursday, I'm sorry, Wednesday, because of the uh, verdict of guilty, 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 in the uh, McMichael Bryan murder trial of Ahmaud Arbery, we did a special broadcast on Wednesday. 
and it's, be, it's been re-airing on my Facebook fan page, the African History Network, the African History Network, and our YouTube channel, Michael M. Hotep, I-M-H-O-T-E-P. So um, even if I'm not here on 910 or the station may be shut down because of the holidays as it was, a lot of times I'm still broadcasting. All right. So follow me on my Facebook fan page, the African History Network, the African History Network, our YouTube channel, Michael M. Hotep, I-M-H-O-T-E-P. And you can um, watch the uh, video from Wednesday, November 20th, uh, November 24th, where, where we dealt with the verdict and we dealt with the charges, et cetera. So we're going to do a, a brief recap of that here today. And uh, Maude Arbery's uh, mother Wanda Cooper Jones is uh, she talked about uh, being thankful for the guilty verdict. We know this was a tremendous um, we know this was a, 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 a tremendous weight on her and uh, Ahmaud Arbery's father. So uh, we'll talk a little bit about that and uh, we'll deal with why was only one defendant and Ahmad Arbery's uh, killing guilty of malice murder. That was Travis McMichael. He was guilty of malice murder where the uh, other two defendants were not guilty of malice murder and they were found guilty on, on different charges. But uh, Travis McMichael, the one who shot uh, Ahmad Arbery was guilty on all nine counts. Okay, so we'll break that down uh, as well. Okay, now on the African History Network show, we focus on educating, empowering, and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world because right now it's correct wrong behavior. What you do for yourself, what you do to yourself, and what you allow other people to do to you and get away with is based upon what you think about yourself. What you think about yourself is based upon what you haven't taught about yourself. What you've been taught about yourself is based upon everything you've read, heard, and seen about yourself. So when you control the radius of a man or woman's thoughts, you can control the compass of his or her actions because the mind can't do or teach what it doesn't know. Now we deal with a number of different topics here on the African history network show. We deal with current events in history and politics, education, economic empowerment, entrepreneurship, relationships, love, sex, health issues, and much, much more. Sign up for our email newsletter, text the word Kim at K E M E T the two, two, eight, two, eight, the sign up for our email newsletter, text the word Kim at K E M E T the 22828 to sign up for our email newsletter. Also visit our website, africanhistorynetwork.com, africanhistorynetwork.com. You can sign up for the email newsletter there as well. Okay, so we're coming up here on a um, on a break in, in just in a couple of minutes here. Calling numbers 313-778-7600, 313-778-7600 is the calling number if you have a question or comment. 313-778-7600. Now, Thanksgiving Day is a national holiday in the United States, and Thanksgiving Day 2021 occurs on Thursday, uh, occurred on Thursday, November 25th. In 1621, the Plymouth colonists and the Wampanoag uh, Native American nation shared an autumn harvest feast that is acknowledged today as one of the first Thanksgiving celebrations in the colonies is acknowledged as one of the first Thanksgiving celebrations in the colony. And this is a famous painting here that you, uh, that we see every year. And we're told this was the first Thanksgiving. And we were told that the, the pilgrims invited the, 
uh, uh, the Wapanog Native American nation to celebrate with them and celebrate that first harvest. Okay. That's not exactly how the story went. And one of the things that I do when I teach this history is we deal with this history from the Native American perspective. So I'm going to share an article uh, that came out a few years ago, and I deal, I, I deal with this each year on my show. We deal with this history from the Native American perspective, not the perspective of the colonizers. Now, for more than two centuries, days of Thanksgiving were celebrated by individual colonies and states for more than two centuries, even before 1863. OK, it wasn't until 1863 in the middle of the Civil War that President Abraham Lincoln proclaimed a national day, uh, a national Thanksgiving day to be held each year. OK, that wasn't until 1863. But we see it going back to the the first um, uh, official uh, Thanksgiving day was proclaimed in 1789 by George Washington uh, during the American Revolutionary War. Uh, the Continental Congress designated one or more days of Thanksgiving a year. And in 1789, uh, President George Washington issued the first Thanksgiving proclamation by the national government of the United States. In it, in this proclamation, he called upon Americans to express their gratitude for the happy conclusion to the country's war of independence and the successful ratification of the U.S. Constitution. You listen to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM, the Superstation Future Radio. I'm Michael M. Hotel. We'll be back in a few minutes. Kwanzaa is coming, and the Kwanzaashop.com has all of your Kwanzaa needs. Order your Kwanzaa set today, which includes a Kanara, candles, a mat, a cup, the African American flag, and a basket. Visit the Kwanzaashop.com, the Kwanzaashop.com. They have Kanara sets, which include a candle holder, candles, a mat, and a cup. Kwanzaa is December 26th through January the 1st. Add the early bird discount code for 10% off your order placed before November 28th. Visit thekwanzashop.com and place your order today. Thekwanzashop.com has all of your Kwanzaa needs to celebrate this African-American Pan-African holiday. TheKwanzaShop.com Mental health and well-being have long been a taboo subject in the so-called African-American community. So I enlisted the help of mental health experts, thought leaders, and activists to help kill the ghost of Willie Lynch and heal from post-traumatic slave syndrome. We experience trauma a lot of times um, on a subconscious level, so sometimes something happens to us and we know that it's traumatizing, but we don't really recognize the extent of the trauma. They are emotionally constipated and emotionally obese because, again, all the things that we experienced in childhood, we suffocated and we stored in our body. It's a time to kill and it's a time to heal. We've been haunted by the ghost of Willie Lynch and his doctrine of self-refueling trauma for too long. It's time for Willie to die. Die, Willie. It's the Oscar the Ghost LOXD block. It's time to kill the ghost of Willie Lynch and get out the matrix. Check out my man Ron Life Speaks at DieWillie.com. Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM, the Superstation, the Future Radio. I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotep. It is Sunday, November 28th. 
2021. And we are live. Call the numbers 313-778-7600. 313-778-7600 is the call in number if you have a question or comment. So right before the break, we started dealing with some of the real history and the origins of Thanksgiving, the National Day of Thanks. And we were talking about the Wampanoag Native American nation, which is the Native American nation that the pilgrims had a peace treaty with um, in 1621. So we're dealing with some of this history and separating fact from fiction. And we're going to deal with how what we've been told is the first uh, Thanksgiving in this country in 1621. The, the way it's been told is not historically accurate. And we're going to deal with this history from the Native American perspective. Now, I encourage people to read uh, this book here, African People and European Holidays and Mental Genocide by Dr. Shaka Musa Barashango. This is book number one. And then you also have book number two. Okay. Now, um, let me say this from the beginning. Uh, I know a lot of African-Americans celebrate Thanksgiving. Okay. So I'm not attacking them for celebrate, celebrating Thanksgiving. I, I, I totally understand wanting to be with family and being thankful and eating and things like this. But when we deal with, first of all, any of these European holidays that we participate in, we should at least know the history of what it is we're participating in to determine it to determine how we participate in the holiday number one number two um once you learn the real history you know you may not want to celebrate at all doesn't mean don't get together with family doesn't mean you're not going to eat etc but this whole history of thanksgiving and the wampanoag nation helping uh the native helping europeans Okay, who are who were known as the pilgrims, but all the people on the Mayflower ship were not pilgrims. There were 102 passengers on the Mayflower ship. Okay, only about 36 were pilgrims. All of them on the Mayflower were not pilgrims either. Uh, so we have to separate fact from fiction. Now, there's a there's a good article here from. Uh, we're gonna go to clip one here in just a second, Jalen. Uh, we're gonna I mean, actually. Which clip is that? Um, not, not clip. I think it's going to be clip two. We're going to go with first. Um, we're going to go to uh, clip number two in just a second. Hundreds gather for day of mourning. Okay, so th there was a big article from the Washington Post. Uh, came out uh, November fourth, twenty twenty one. This tribe helped the pilgrims survive for the first Thanksgiving they still regret it 400 years later. Long marginalized and misrepresented in US history, the Wampanoags are bracing for the 400th anniversary of the first Pilgrim Thanksgiving in 1621. Okay, so this year is the anniversary of this, is November, it's the anniversary of that. So, uh, and this article is written by Dana Hedgepath. She was interviewed Viewed by Joanne Reed on the read on uh, the readout uh, on Wednesday, November 24th. We're going to share that interview as well with you because there's a lot of history in all of this. So if we look at this uh, article quickly here, um, the, they talk about uh, uh, overlooking the chilly waters of Plymouth Bay. About three dozen uh, tourists swarmed a park ranger as he recounted the history of Plymouth Rock the famous symbol of the arrival of the pilgrims here four centuries ago. 
okay? And they're in Plymouth, Massachusetts. The setting of this article is Plymouth, Massachusetts. Nearby, others waited to tour a replica of the Mayflower ship that carried the pilgrims across. On a hilltop above stood a quiet tribute to the American Indians who helped the starving pilgrims survive. Few people bothered to visit the statue of uh, Osama. Uh, Osama Quinn, the, um, the chief of the Wampanoag Nation, okay, whose people once numbered between 30,000 to 100,000 people and whose land what once stretched from southeastern Massachusetts to uh, parts of Rhode Island, okay? So today, they, so today the Wampanoag own about one half or 1% of the land they owned before these European colonizers arrived. Now, long marginalized and misrepresented in American history, the Wampanoags are braced, uh, are braced for what's coming this month as the country marks the 400th anniversary of the first Thanksgiving between the Pilgrims and Indians, the Pilgrims and Native Americans. But the actual history of what happened in 1624, the actual history of what happened in 1624 bears little resemblance to what most Americans are taught in grade school historians say. This once again is why the real history of this country has to be taught. Everything from 1621 to 1619 to 1526 when the Spanish were taking Africans into the territory we call South Carolina and Georgia, which was 93 years before uh, that's 93 years before uh, Jamestown, Virginia. And uh, 1513, when Juan Ponce de Leon, the Spanish conquistador, comes into Florida with uh, an African named Juan Garrido, who was born in West Africa about 1480, to uh, the first Americans with Africans documented evidence by Dr. David M. Hotep that deals with the African presence in this land we call the United States of America, going back at least 51,700 years ago. These were the Khoisan. And there was a, a presence of them in South Carolina discovered by Dr. Albert Goodyear, who's an archaeologist at the University of South Carolina. There was a big discovery made in 2004, fairly documented an African presence in the territory we call South Carolina, going back at least 51,700 years ago before Native Americans even came into existence. So we have to deal with all of this history and we have to deal with this chronology of history. So the actual history of what happened in 1621 bears little resemblance to what most Americans are taught in grade school uh, historians say. All right. And th then we see the attack on critical race theory, which is a which is a catch all term, which is an attack on dealing with uh, teaching about the history of slavery and racism and systemic racism and white supremacy, things like this. Right. All this gets attacked because there's a, there's a concerted effort to keep the truth from coming out. Now, there was likely no turkey served. There were no feathered headdresses worn. And initially, there was no effort. Initially, there was no effort uh, by the pilgrims to invite the Wapanogs to the, fe to the feast they made possible. Just as Native American activists have demanded the removal of Cristobal Colon 
uh, or Christopher Columbus, his his uh, anglicized name, Christopher Columbus statues, and pushed and pushed to transform Columbus Day into an acknowledgement of his brutality towards indigenous people, okay, as well as African people, because we know Columbus, first of all, as we've dealt with here on this show numerous times, because we separate fact from fiction, when we look at where Columbus went on his four voyages, and I, I teach about this in my classes on the weekend, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. When we look at where Columbus went on his four voyages, Columbus uh, never came to the land we call the United States of America. Okay, Christopher Columbus never came to the land we call the United States of America. You can go to history.com, which is the official website of the History Channel, or you can look at other sources and look at where Columbus goes on his four voyages. He goes into the Caribbean. He goes into Puerto Rico and Honduras and Panama. He's in uh, the Bahamas that he calls San Salvador. He's in Hispaniola. Uh, and we know the, the Western third of Hispaniola becomes the French colony of Saint Dominique, uh, which becomes Haiti. Okay. He's, he's in that area. He never comes to the land we call the United States of America. Okay. So we, we just have to get that straight from the beginning. Now, just as Native Americans pushed to transform the Columbus holiday into an acknowledgement of his brutality towards indigenous people, they have long objected to the popular portrayal of Thanksgiving. Now, it's also important to note that um, uh, the Spanish Columbus is conquering on behalf of the Spanish crown. And in 1501-1502, uh, the Spanish start uh, shipping Africans into those Spanish colonies. And then you have the Asiento de Negros of 1518, signed by King Charles V, also known as King Charles I of Spain, which was a license uh, given to European nations and uh, European slave traders to supply Spanish colonies with African slaves, the Asiento de Negros, okay, 1518. And this is going to accelerate the transatlantic slave trade. And the Asiento is going to come about after um, um, right Reverend Bishop Bartolomeu de las Casas uh, 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 appeals to the king to stop enslaving the uh, Native Americans in the Spanish colonies uh, because he said the Native Americans had suffered enough and he suggested that uh, the Spanish enslave uh, African people entirely, solely African people stop enslaving the Native Americans. They suffered enough. We need to try to save their souls and, and totally enslave African people. Okay, this is Bartolomeu de las Casas who traveled on uh, voyages with Columbus and he kept a diary. His diary was made into a couple of books. I read, read his books back in college. He's later going to regret He's later going to regret that decision, but the die was already cast. You set into motion that the, the, the Spanish really helped to expand the transatlantic slave trade, especially with Columbus and his four voyages. Even though the Portuguese were the first ones involved in the transatlantic slave trade going back to 1441, the, 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 when the Spanish get involved, is really going to is really going to uh, expand. Now, and we know the Spanish come here in 1526. Well, 1513 with Juan Ponce de Leon, the Spanish conquistador, but 1526, trying to set up a colony that was uh, today uh, South Carolina and, and Georgia. Now, for the Wampanoag Native Americans and many other American Indians, the fourth Thursday in November is considered a national day of mourning, not a day of celebration. A national day of mourning, not a day of celebration. 
We're coming up on a break. When we come back from the break, we'll talk about the National Day of Mourning, and we'll talk about some of what happened at the National Day of Mourning on uh, Thursday, uh, November 25th, 2021. Listen to the African History Network show right here on 9, a.m. Superstation, the future radio on Motep. We'll be back in a few minutes. Soul in Motion, celebrating 38 years in the arts. This energetic ensemble of dancers and drummers was started by percussionist Michael Friend and is led by choreographer, associate director Pam Lassiter. Based in the Washington, D.C. area, Soul in Motion is now accepting bookings for Black History Month, Juneteenth, and summer festivals in 2022. Soul in Motion is also available for more intimate events like naming ceremonies and weddings. To find out more or book your date, call 240-452-1349 or send an email to info at soulinmotion.org. Be sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Soul in Motion, celebrating our history, our culture, our future. Soul in Motion, theater, African dance, and drumming since 1984. Mental health and well-being have long been a taboo subject in the so-called African-American community. So I enlisted the help of mental health experts, thought leaders, and activists to help kill the ghost of Willie Lynch and heal from post-traumatic slave syndrome. We experience trauma a lot of times um, on a subconscious level. So sometimes something happens to us and we know that it's traumatizing, but we don't really recognize the extent of the trauma. They are emotionally constipated and emotionally obese. Because again, all the things that we experienced in childhood, we suffocated and we stored in our body. It's a time to kill and it's a time to heal. We've been haunted by the ghost of Willie Lynch and his doctrine of self-refueling trauma for too long. It's time for Willie to die. Die, Willie. It's the Oscar the Ghost LOXD block. It's time to kill the ghost of Willie Lynch and get out the matrix. Check out my man Ron Life Speaks at DieWillie.com. Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 9, 10 a.m. The Superstation, the Future Radio. I'm your host, Bella Michael M. Hotep. It is Sunday, November 28th, 2021, and we are live. Calling numbers 313-778-7600. 313-778-7600 is the calling number if you have a question or comment. Uh, be sure to visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. You can register for the uh, online courses I teach on Saturdays and Sundays on Saturday. It's uh, from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865 to 1968. From the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865 to 1968. And uh, we deal with uh, history leading up to the Civil War, starting with the Louisiana Purchase of 1803. Um, and then we deal with the Civil War, uh, 1861-1865, Reconstruction Era, 1865-1877, Jim Crow Era. Uh, we deal with things like uh, Plessy versus Ferguson, 1896, U.S. Supreme Court case, Williams versus Mississippi, 1898. Uh, we deal with uh, World War One, World War II, uh, Civil Rights Movement, Black Power Movement, Great Migration. Okay, so 
that class. We have a bundle pack right now where you can register for that class and understanding the transatlantic slave trade where they didn't teach you in school. Uh, you can register for both classes. Uh, they're on sale for $100, but you get 30% off uh, because of uh, Black Empowerment Friday weekend uh, promotion. Okay, so you get both classes for $70. Um, regularly, it's regularly two there's regularly $130 each. Visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. We have information there. And uh, we'll also post the link here so uh, for the course bundle pack. But that's at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. You can also email me at AHNShow at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AHNShow at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com uh, if you have any questions. Also, if you want me to do a presentation for your group or organization for Dr. King Day, African-American History Month, what have you, email me now, uh, AHNShow at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. All right, let's continue. All right. Um, let's continue. Okay, so right before the break, we were dealing with um, there's a big article from the Washington Post that deals with uh, this tribe helped the pilgrims survive for the first Thanksgiving. Uh, they still regret it 400 years later. This tribe help the pilgrims survive for the first Thanksgiving, they still regret it 400 years later. Long marginalized and misrepresented in U.S. history, the Wapanogs are bracing uh, for the 400th anniversary of the first pilgrim Thanksgiving in 1621. Okay, we're going to go to clip uh, two here in just a second, Jalen. All right, so uh, I, I pulled up this article here during the break. Now, this is from um, uh, history.com. Now, this deals with uh, the Asiento de Negros. Also, Britannica.com has some good information on this as well, uh, the Asiento. And uh, this is something that Dr. Maleficetti Asante uh, deals with as well. I've interviewed him twice. He's a friend of mine, chair of the Afro-American Studies Department at um, Temple University, almost at Howard. That's uh, my friend, Dr. Greg Carr, over at Howard University. Um, details of brutal first slave voyages. Okay. This is from history.com. This dealt with some new, uh, information that came out a few years ago. Okay. Now this article is from, uh, March 29th, 2019 updated originally from August 31st, 2018. It talks about King Charles I of Spain who signed an edict allowing slave ships to travel directly from Africa to the Americas human cargo on transatlantic voyages spiked nearly tenfold. And uh, in August of 1518, King Charles I authorized Spain to ship enslaved people directly from Africa to the Americas. The edict marked a new phase in the transatlantic slave trade in which the numbers of enslaved people brought directly to the Americas without going through a European port first rose dramatically. This is what this is what Spain did. OK, and I, keep in mind, this is after the Spanish conquer of uh, the Moors and uh, the Moors lose control of the last stronghold, uh, Grenada or Granada, January 2nd, 1492. 
this deals with the uh, Asiento de Negros. So uh, read this and also research the Asiento. The transatlantic slave trade didn't start in 1518, but it did increase after King Charles I authorized direct Africa to Caribbean trips that year. In the 1510s and 1520s, ships sailing, sailing from Spain to the Caribbean settlements of Puerto Rico and Hispaniola might contain as few as one or two enslaved people or as many as 30 or 40. Uh, quote, by, by the mid-1520s, we're seeing 200 sometimes as many, almost 300 captives being brought on the same slave ship from Africa, uh, says uh, Professor David Weed, a history professor at Michigan State University. It's difficult to trace what parts of Africa the captives on board came from at, at, that, point, at that point in time, since many were captured on the mainland and shipped to island ports off the coast before Spanish boats took them to the Americas. So read the uh, read the rest of this here. But this deals with uh, this talks about the Asiento, and also um, hold on. This talks about the Asiento, and uh, Britannica.com has some good information on the Asiento as well. All right, now if we go back to this piece here from uh, the Washington Post. Um, okay, so for the Wampanoag Native Americans and many other American Indians, the fourth Thursday in November is considered a national day of mourning, not a day of celebration. Because while the Wampanoags did help the pilgrims survive, their support uh, followed by years of slow unfolding genocide and take and the taking of their land. Okay, so while the Wampanoag Native American nation did help the pilgrims survive, their support was followed by years of a slow unfolding genocide of their people and the taking of their land. Okay, I, I think they might want to do over on that one. I think uh, if they had it to do all over again, or as Cher says, if uh, she could turn back time, I think if they could turn back time. Uh, things would have turned out differently. To learn the history of the Wampanoags and what happened and what happened to them after the first Thanksgiving, a visitor has has to drive 30 miles south of Plymouth uh, to the town of Mashpee, where a modest cl uh, clapboard museum sits along a two lane road. Outside, there's a what two. Uh, W-E-T-U, a traditional Wampanoag house made from cedar poles and the bark of uh, tulip uh, poplar trees and a Michoon, uh, an Indian canoe. Inside the three-room house sits Mother Bear, a 71-year-old Mashpee Wampanoag uh, woman, hand-stitching a deerskin hat. She's lived her whole life in this town and is considered one of the keepers of the Wampanoag version of the first Thanksgiving and how the encounter turned into centuries into a centuries long disaster for the Mash, for the Mashpee Wampanoag nation, uh, who now number about 2,800 people. The story continues to get ignored by the roughly 1.5 million annual visitors to Plymouth, Massachusetts museums and souvenir shops. The Mashpee Wampanoag Museum draws about 800 visitors a year. So the Plymouth, Massachusetts museums 
in souvenir shops draw about 1.5 million people per year. And they're not going to get the Native American version of what happened that first Thanksgiving. The, Ma the Mashpee Wapanog Museum draws about 800 visitors a year. Okay, so uh, every they have the National Day of Mourning um, in, uh, in the Plymouth, Massachusetts area, the National Day of Mourning. And it took place, uh, they, they have it on uh, Thanksgiving Day. It took place this year as well. Uh, let's go to clip number two, Jalen, and uh, see what happened. Members of Native American tribes gathered together in Plymouth, but they're not celebrating Thanksgiving. They're mourning the mistreatment indigenous people have faced. Here's NBC 10's Mike Manzoni. Thank you all, everyone here. Every year at noon on Thanksgiving. What we need to do is, what we have been doing isn't working, and what we need to do is to um, decolonize, bring the land back. Native Americans gather in Plymouth to remember their ancestors and remind people why they don't celebrate the holiday. The National Day of Mourning, now in its 52nd year, brought out more than 1,000 people. They marched from Coles Hill to nearby Plymouth Rock, which they refer to as a pebble and a tourist trap. They say it's all part of an effort to push the myth that Native Americans welcomed European settlers seeking religious freedom and shared a meal with them. The Indians welcomed them with open arms and then conveniently faded into the background and everyone lived happily ever after the end. But they say that story just isn't true. And they say it erases accounts of genocide and other acts of violence against Native Americans. That's why they use this day to tell their own history. When the pilgrims arrived on Outer Cape Cod, by the way, not on that pebble down the hill, one of the first things the pilgrims did was to rob walking on graves at the hill and steal as much of their winter provisions of corn and beans as they were able to carry. And after leaving Plymouth Rock, they marched on to Post Office Square where they held another rally. We're in Plymouth, like Benzoni all right, we'll continue this on the other side of the break. Uh, you listen to the African History Network show right here on 9, 10 a.m., the Superstation of Future Radio. I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotel. We'll be back in a few minutes. Kwanzaa is coming, and the KwanzaaShop.com has all of your Kwanzaa needs. Order your Kwanzaa set today, which includes a Kanara, candles, a mat, a cup, the African-American flag, and a basket. Visit thekwanzashop.com, thekwanzashop.com. They have Kanara sets, which include a candle holder, candles, a mat, and a cup. Kwanzaa is December 26th through January the 1st. Add the early bird discount code for 10% off your order placed before November 28th. Visit thekwanzashop.com and place your order today. Thekwanzashop.com has all of your Kwanzaa needs to celebrate this African-American Pan-African holiday. Thekwanzashop.com Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 9, 10 a.m. The Superstation, the Future Radio. I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotel. It is Sunday, November 28th. 2021 and we are live calling numbers 313-778-7600 313-778-7600 313-778-7600 313-778-7600 313-778-7600 313-778-7600 313-778-7600 313-778-7600 313-778-7600 313-778-7600 313-778-7600 313-778-7600 313-778-7600 313-778
778-7600 is the calling number if you have a question or comment. Uh, we have a special promotion going on right now at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Uh, get 30% uh, off of orders of $100 or more. Use promo code AHN30 off 2021. AHN30 off 2021. Get up to 50% off uh, DVD lectures, digital downloads, and online courses. And we have the, um, we have a course bundle pack. Uh, you can register for uh, my two online classes from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865 to 1968. And understand the transatlantic slave trade where they didn't teach in school. Of a, uh, a a big uh, discount going on till Monday. Uh, you get both classes. Uh, you can register for both classes for seventy dollars. We have the information at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Regular price is two hundred sixty dollars for both classes. Okay, and as soon as you register, you can watch the classes we did last week and the week before that. We do the sessions live. All of them are archived and recorded. You can go back and watch them anytime. Even after the 10-week online course is over with, you can still watch the full course. So if you want to watch it next year, you can do that. Okay, we're going to go back to that clip here in just a second, Jalen. Uh, so right before the break, we were dealing with the National Day of Mourning and the real history of uh, the first Thanksgiving in, in 1621. This is a really good article from the uh, today.com, the Today Show on NBC. Many Native Americans consider Thanksgiving a day of mourning. Here's how. They mark the day. Many Native Americans consider uh, Thanksgiving a day of mourning. Here's how they mark the day. And um, this is a, um, this picture here is from uh, last year, the 51st uh, year in Memphis, in, in Plymouth, Massachusetts, the National Day of Mourning. But um, they, they will have similar banners each year. This one says in the spirit, of uh, Metacom National Day of Mourning, United Americans, uh, United American Indians of New England. Okay, so this clip right here that uh, we, we were I was sharing right before the break. Uh, this is from uh, NBC Channel Ten in Boston. NBC Channel Ten uh, in Boston, and this deals with what happened at the National Day of Mourning. Uh, on Thursday, November 25th. Let's go back to this clip, Jalen. Members of Native American tribes got together in Plymouth, but they're not celebrating Thanksgiving. They're mourning the mistreatment Indigenous people have faced. Here's NBC 10's Mike Manzoni. Thank you all, everyone here. Every year at noon on Thanksgiving. What we need to do is, what we have been doing isn't working, and what we need to do is to um, decolonize, bring the land back. Native Americans gather in Plymouth to remember their ancestors and remind people why they don't celebrate the holiday. The National Day of Mourning, now in its 52nd year, brought out more than 1,000 people. They marched from Coles Hill to nearby Plymouth Rock, which they refer to as a pebble and a tourist trap. They say it's all part of an effort to push the myth that Native Americans welcomed European settlers seeking religious freedom and shared a meal with them. The Indians welcomed them with open arms and then conveniently faded into the background and everyone was happily ever after the end. But they say that story just isn't true. And they say it erases accounts of genocide and other acts of violence against Native Americans. 
That's why they use this day to tell their own history. When the pilgrims arrived on Elder Cape Cod, by the way, not on that pebble down the hill, one of the first things the pilgrims did was to rob Wampanoag graves at Corn Hill and steal as much of their winter provisions of corn and beans as they were able to carry. And after leaving from the rock, they marched on to Post Office Square. They held another rally. We're in Plymouth, like Manzoni, NBC 10 Boston. Okay, that's from uh, NBC 10 Boston. Check out this article here from NBC 10 Boston. Hundreds gather for day of mourning in Plymouth. Hundreds gather for day of mourning in Plymouth. The National Day of Mourning now on its 52nd year uh, drew more than 1,000 people. And let's go to this year. Okay, the National Day of Mourning now in its 52nd year started in 1970 drew more than 1,000 people. Uh, they marched from Coles, C-O-L-E, apostrophe S, Coles Hill to nearby Plymouth Rock, which they refer to as a pebble and a tourist, a tourist trap, a pebble and a tourist trap. Okay, so check that out. Now also, uh, NBC, let me see, um, ABC Channel 5 in Boston, the uh, ABC affiliate in Boston also ran a story on November 25th dealing with the National Day of Mourning as well. Let's go to clip number three, uh, Jalen. Like Columbus Day, many indigenous people do not want to get rid of Thanksgiving Day. In fact, they say many Thanksgiving Day traditions are perfectly fine. But they say what the holiday stands for needs to change. There were drums and dancing on the hill overlooking the Plymouth Rock Monument. Hundreds of people came together for what they call a national day of mourning. Currently, we are in a time of indigenous resurgence, with things happening on so many different fronts. After speeches and prayers, the group marched through the streets, led by the granddaughter of the man who founded this event in 1970. I wanted to deliver a message, basically, that we're still here. Keisha James says she doesn't object to people gathering, eating turkey, and giving thanks, but she doesn't want them to celebrate what she calls the Thanksgiving myth. That the pilgrims and Wapanaag got along, and you know we simply know that that's not true. The pilgrims came and pretty much immediately started killing the Wapanaag. Marchers also called for more attention to be paid to the cases of missing indigenous women and the return of all land colonized in the Americas. We're not saying give it back and get off. We're saying give it back so we can heal it, so that we can all come to some type of reconciliation. Organizers say they are encouraged to keep people of many different backgrounds taking part this year and said the day of mourning is a day to be proud that after 400 years, they and their culture still exist. We are still here today, and I stand here in peace and in solidarity. Oh, that is all. <laughs> Now, in years, in years past, the marchers ended by burying Plymouth Rock. That had not happened this year. Police report, no problem. Okay, that's from uh, ABC Channel 5 in Boston also, all right? Uh, so read the article from the Washington Post. We're going to revisit that in just a minute here. And it, I, I did a number of posts uh, dealing with this. Uh, we posted about it on our Facebook fan page, the African History Network, and... Um, also um, on my Instagram page, and it got a huge, uh, huge response. Um, this one here 
from uh, the Washington Post, which came out November 4th, uh, 2021. This tribe helped the pilgrims survive for their first Thanksgiving. They still regret it 400 years later. It's about the Wampanoag Nation. Okay, now if we uh, look at this one here from um, in CNN, we're coming up on a break. Uh, on the other side of the break, Jayla, we're going to go to clip number one. Okay, from uh, Joanne Reed, uh, National Day of Mourning turns Thanksgiving into something more honest. National Day of Mourning turns Thanksgiving into something more honest. Now, this is from November 25th, 2021 from CNN.com. And they give some background history uh, towards the end of towards the bottom of page one on the National Day of Mourning. Okay. Uh, established in 1970, the National Day of Mourning uh, turns the fourth Thursday of November into, into something more honest. Uh, many indigenous people use the day not only to remember the suffering inflicted in the 1620s, but also to point out the struggles that indigenous people continue to face today in the form of uh, on top of so much else, violence against women and girls. They're also heavily afflicted by uh, COVID-19, by coronavirus. Now, when we look at the origins of, of National Day of Mourning, we'll deal with this on the other side of the break. Listen to the African History Network show. I'm Michael M. Hotep right here on 9, 10 a.m. Superstation WFDF. We'll be back in a few minutes. Stand by. Stand by. Back from breaking four minutes. All right. Back from breaking four minutes, everybody. Stand by, everybody. Okay, how's everybody doing today? Hopefully you had a safe weekend. We're on commercial break. Follow us on our Facebook fan page, The African History Network, and our YouTube channel, Michael M. Hotep, I-M-H-O-T-E-P. Back from breaking three minutes.
I can't do a teach with a better note. He have it all. 910 AM Superstation. WFDF Farmington Hills, Detroit. 910 AM Superstation, a division of Adele Media. The views and opinions expressed on any program are those of the producers and or the persons appearing on the program and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of 910 AM Superstation or Adele Media. Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM Superstation, the future radio. I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotep. It is Sunday, November 28th, 2021, and we are live. Um, we're going to the phone lines in just a minute here. If you'd like to stop the information, also you can support the African History Network. Dollar sign the AHN show through Cash App. Dollar sign the AHN show through Cash App. Also through PayPal, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. We're here six days a week, so this helps us keep doing the research, stay on the air, uh, keep broadcasting, etc. All right, let's go quickly here to the phone lines. Let's go to uh, line one. Let's go to Leroy, line one. Leroy, thanks for holding. Tell us where you're calling from. Yeah, thanks for taking my call. You know, I, I, I heard this about the Indians and uh, for the Native Americans. And uh, personally, you know, I mean, I, I'm a descendant of slavery. So, you know, I look at, you know, what happened during slavery, when was they in? And plus, now you, 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 you're a descendant of Leroy, 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 Leroy. You're descendant of slavery or you're descendant yeah. of former slaves? No, my family, we're the descendants of slavery. I wasn't born into slavery, but my great my great grandparents were. So and weren't so, they free from slavery? And then, weren't they free from slavery? Pardon? Weren't they freed from slavery? Well, no, they, they were they were free. Yeah, they were free from slavery. Okay, right? so 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 you descended you 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 descended of former slaves, right? Okay, and so you know I'm, I'm and then when you look at Virginia and you know the, on the logo of Virginia, that's what they have is the Indian the Indians on the logo of Virginia, uh, the state of Virginia, Commonwealth of Virginia, and I understand what they said, but at least they didn't put crack in and in, in heroin and try to kill them off with that and rap music. Uh, but you know what, man? I noticed that, and I tried to call in last week. After what happened to, to uh, uh, the people that assassinated Malcolm X and were accused of that, do you, you notice nobody nobody apologized to the Nation of Islam for, for, for blaming that on them, for blaming the, the assassination of Malcolm Not one group, not one person, Come on and say, well, we apologize because they, they blamed all that on the, on, 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 the, on the Elijah Muhammad. And that was wrong. Yeah, some people did. Because yeah. all the evidence, even then, you know, the, the word on, on the streets was then that Malcolm, that who paid for his trip to Miami and all of that. And that when he was going to give that, that speech the day he was assassinated, that, uh, he, you know, even then, you know, that, that he was going to tell what the deal was and what really happened and who was. You know, who was behind having him killed and all that. But it bothers me that, you know, when we look at the Indians and, and what happened to Malcolm and them, that nobody apologizes when it's wrong. When they get caught dead, and I mean, there's many YouTube videos, but the one YouTube video of the guy with the shotgun who killed, who actually fired the shotgun, right. walked out in the New York, wiped out the New York police with the shotgun hanging out of his pocket exposed and the police just let him go. You know, now then see we didn't we didn't have YouTube back in the sixties. 
with the word of mouth. Word of mouth will say, hey, man, look here. And I'm going to tell you something else. That when he gave the dollars to the bullets speech at, they had a, a church here in Detroit. Where he gave King Solomon Baptist Church. You know what, sister? Yeah, the, the, the question and answer. He had a question and answer period after that speech. That's missing. That's missing. So it's, it's, know, it's missing from where? All these it, wait, 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 wait. The question and answers part is missing from where? You can't find it. If you can't find the question and answer period after the speech that he gave at the church. And at the time, that church was like a, um, it was a community hub. Okay. It was a community I'm, I'm hub not, back then. I'm, I'm they had sure. Golden Glove boxing and all that stuff back then at that church. Okay. I'm not. I'm not certain that you can't. I'm not certain you can't find it. But okay, there there are three versions of the speech. Also, he gave the speech uh, the, when he first gave the speech. That was um, March 29th, um, March 29th, 1964, in um, Washington Heights, New York. Then he gave it April 3rd, 64, in Cleveland, Ohio, Corey Methodist Church, and then he gave it. April 464 King Solomon Baptist Church. Uh, I've heard the, I've heard the three different speeches. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not certain that uh, that doesn't exist. So uh, it may it may it may be a situation where because I know there are records of it. So I'm, I'm not certain that the, the Q&A session doesn't exist. But OK. All right. All right. All right. Leroy, thanks for calling. Keep listening. OK. Uh, I, I keep, keep listening. OK. We'll go to the next call in here in just a second. Um, Everybody, I want people to really understand this. We have to understand history. First of all, I've had Dr. David M. Hotel on this show, I think 13, 14 times. Uh, well, I've interviewed him 13, 14 times. I interviewed him first time before I even started on that. And I interviewed him first time back in 2011. He's the author of the book, The First Americans Were Africans Documented Evidence. This is um, the 2000, this is the book that came out in 2011. His new book, because I just interviewed him October 12th on Indigenous Peoples Day, his new book just came out uh, about two months ago or so, because I interviewed him October 12th as well. So that's the last time I've interviewed him. All right. It deals with the African presence in the Americas dating back at least 56,000 years ago. But the first one that that research at least 56,000 years ago in South South America and 51,700 years ago in um, uh, the territory we call South Carolina and Georgia. Okay. Today, because the territory we call South Carolina and Georgia. So African people were in this land going back tens of thousands of years before Native Americans even came into existence. As I I said numerous times before, and I'm not sure I'm not sure why people do this, but if you actually understand um, history, um, the the people, when we say we're descendants of slaves, the slaves were freed in 1865. And then you look after slavery, they refer to as freedmen or former slaves or ex-slaves. Like we look at this article right here from the Zen Education Project, November 28th, 1898. First National Convention of the Ex-Slave Mutual Relief Bounty and Pension Association. Okay, that 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 meeting took place um, November twenty eighth, uh, eighteen ninety eight. 
Okay, 1898, same year that the uh, that Louisiana uh, rewrote their state constitution to impose poll taxes and literacy tests and to um, uh, suppress the African-American vote, things like that. That was also in 1898. 1898 is also the year that you had Williams versus Mississippi, U.S. Supreme Court case to challenge the uh, Mississippi state uh, constitution of 18. 18- Ninety that imposed literacy tests, and the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that um, the uh, what's known as the Mississippi Plan of eighteen ninety did not violate the Fifteenth Amendment to uh, the U.S. Constitution, Fifteenth Amendment of eighteen seventy, uh, and and those poll taxes and literacy tests they were obstacles to African Americans voting. They were obstacles to the Fifteenth Amendment, but U.S. Supreme Court upheld that in, in Williams versus Mississippi. But November 28, 1898, first national convention of the ex-slave mutual relief bounty and pension association. The first annual convic- convention of the national ex-slave mutual relief bounty and pension association was held in Nashville, Tennessee, from November 28 uh, to December 1st, 1898. The ex-slave mutual relief bounty and pension association was founded with a dual mission to organize mutual aid for its members and to pass federal pension legislation that would compensate every formerly enslaved person. Okay, this is this is 1898. Now this is a picture of, of Cali House. Okay, Cali House, 1898. The the convention elected Cali House, a formerly enslaved woman from Tennessee, to be assistant secretary of the association. Kelly House became its leader for the next 20 years. Okay. House, uh, Kelly, Ho- Kelly House explained the political goals of the organization. She said if the government had the right to free us, she had, she had a right to make some provision for, for us. And since she did not make it soon after emancipation, she ought to make it now. Okay. So, so read this. There's also a book, uh, My Face is Black is True. My face is black is true. Callie House and the struggle for ex-slave reparations by Mary Frances Berry. Now, what I, when you go study this history and you go study history during Reconstruction, U.S. Bureau of Refugees, Freedmen and Abandoned Lands, Freedmen. OK, when you go look at history and you go look at the writings after slavery ended Reconstruction and then going to the Jim Crow era, things like this. The former slaves didn't refer to themselves as slaves. They referred to themselves as ex-slaves, former slaves, freedmen, etc. So why do, why do many of us who are some of their descendants, why do we keep trying to put them back into a status that they were freed from? Why do we, they, they were freed from slavery. If you go look at the writings, you go look at the history after 1865, you look at the history of Reconstruction, you look at the organizations that they're forming, why we keep trying to put them back into a status that they were freed from? Is it possible because we've been taught to have a slave mentality? So we keep trying to put them back into the status that they were freed from? They were they were referred to as freedmen, former slaves, ex-slaves. Why we keep trying to put them back into slavery? All right. We got another call of Jalen. No, sir. All right. Okay. 313-778-7600 is the call-in number. If you have a question or comment, 313-778-7600 is the call-in number. If you have a question or comment. Okay. We're going to go to clip number one, Jalen. Now, 
this article here that we've been talking about from um, uh, the Washington Post, uh, this tribe helped the pilgrims survive for their first Thanksgiving. They still regret it 400 years later. Long marginalized and misrepresented in U.S. history, the Wampanoags are bracing for the 400th anniversary for the first Pilgrim Thanksgiving in 1621. Okay. Um, now, this was written by Dana Hedgepath. All right. Dana Hedgepath was interviewed by uh, Joanne Reed on uh, Wednesday, November 24th. And they talked about um, the National Day of Mourning. And she, uh, Joy also spoke with uh, the chairman of the Mashpee Wampanoag tribe uh, as well, uh, Brian Whedon. And they talked about um, th uh, Thanksgiving as a, a day of mourning for the indigenous community. Let's go to, uh, let's go to clip number one, Jalen. This year marks 400 years since English pilgrims and the Eastern Wampanoag allegedly sat down and broke bread. The meeting, now known as Thanksgiving, is an annual holiday celebrated by many Americans, but not all. Flip open any children's book about that day, and you'll read about the hard scrabble pilgrims who landed on mostly uninhabited land, and thanks to Native Americans, festooned in feathers, they survived and celebrated that feat around wild turkey and corn. Except that's not how it happened. As the Washington Post recently noted, the Wampanoag, a name that means the people of the first light, had lived on these lands as far back as 10,000 years, far longer than any American. By the time they had met the pilgrims, their community had already been devastated by an epidemic brought to their shores by previous English settlers. So in 1620, when they watched Mayflower strangers invade their land, they thought they would try things differently. And by the spring of 1621, they made contact. In the fall of that year, the pilgrims, who struggled through a harsh winter and learned how to plant beans and squash, thanks to the, thanks to the Wampanoag, celebrated the success of their first harvest. They didn't think to invite the people who helped save their lives. Bet you didn't know that, because they don't tell you that part in the textbooks. In fact, the Wampanoag showed up later, only after the pilgrims fired off their muskets. Naturally, the Wampanoag heard the gunfire and thought war was afoot. Realizing that wasn't the case, they wound up sitting down with the people who would become their colonizers. For many indigenous people, Thanksgiving is not a day to be celebrated, but rather a day to be mourned. Because while we gorge ourselves on turkey and stuffing, for native people, that day represents the start of hundreds of years of genocide, colonization, disease, and forced indoctrination of children stolen from their parents and forced to abandon their language and their culture in government-run boarding schools. With me now is Dana Hedgepath. Washington Post reporter. All right, we're going to change this to the other side of the break. Um, you listen to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM Superstation. I'm Michael M. Hotep. Call in numbers 313-778-7600. 313-778-7600. We'll be back in a few minutes. Soul in Motion, celebrating 38 years in the arts. This energetic ensemble of dancers and drummers was started by percussionist Michael Friend and is led by choreographer, associate director Pam Lassiter. Based in the Washington, D.C. area, Soul in Motion is now accepting bookings for Black History Month, Juneteenth, and summer festivals in 2022. 
Soul in Motion is also available for more intimate events like naming ceremonies and weddings. To find out more or book your date, call 240-452-1349 or send an email to info at soulinmotion.org. Be sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Soul in Motion, celebrating our history, our culture, our future. Soul in Motion, theater, African dance, and drumming since 1984. Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on that 10 a.m. Superstation Future Radio. I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotel. It is Sunday, November 28th, 2021. And we're dealing with uh, some of the history, the real history of Thanksgiving and the National Day of Mourning. We're talking about this big article from the Washington Post from November 4th. And um, I posted it on our Facebook fan page, the African History Network, and our YouTube channel, Michael M. Hotel, on Thanksgiving Day. And a uh, number of people were posting D.L. Hughley and Joanne Reed and many others were posting versions of the story and and uh, 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 memes of this uh, article. This tribe helped the pilgrims survive for their first Thanksgiving. They still regret it 400 years later. They still regret it 400 years later. This is about the Wapanoag Nation of Native Americans. Now, this article is written by Dana Hedgepeth, Dana Hedgepeth who's a writer for the um, Washington Post, okay? And uh, she's a Washington Post reporter. Uh, Joanne Reed on the uh, readout on MSNBC on Wednesday, November 24th, spoke with uh, Dana Hedgepath and Brian Whedon. Brian Whedon is uh, chairman of the Mashpee Wapanog uh, tribe, Mashpee Wapanog Nation. And they talked about Thanksgiving as a national day of mourning. All right, let's go back to this clip, Jalen. Their language and their culture in government-run boarding schools. With me now is Dana Hedgeback, Washington Post reporter and member of the Halawa Saponi tribe of North Carolina. And Brian Whedon, chairman of the Mashpee Wampanoag tribe. Thank you both for being here. Really appreciate you. Um, I want to start with you, Dana. Thank you so much for being here this afternoon. And why did you write that piece? What prompted you to do it? There have been a lot of attempts, I think, over the years to sort of reimagine and sort of rediscover what Thanksgiving ought to be. What prompted you to write this piece? You know, it came about from a conversation with a very good editor at the Washington Post, uh, Linda Robinson, and we were chatting. She said, how do you celebrate Thanksgiving? I'm Native American. I'm from the Hollowas Honey Tribe in North Carolina. And I sort of chuckled and said, you know, it's not... We don't celebrate the same way you do. Uh, Thanksgiving doesn't mean to Native Americans what it does to many others in the country. And so that got us thinking, what's the best way to tell that story? And the 400th anniversary brought about a great opportunity to do that. I was very fortunate to meet Chairman Whedon through introductions and to really listen to their side of the story that, as you said, is so often not shared. Yeah. And, you know, Chief Whedon, I think it's an excellent point because I think there is an American tick of sort of looking at the arrival of Europeans here as just a triumph, right? A triumph of will, a triumph of the Mayflower and the Nina and the Pinto and the Santa Maria and sort of whitewash the fact that there were people here. 
And then to take those people and just make them, well, those were their friends. And they gave them corn and then everybody did Thanksgiving. And to wipe out really what was a, a really tragic history, including for the Wampanoag, of, you know, encountering European settlers, getting wiped out by disease, maybe smallpox or whatever germs they were carrying, and then encountering them again, and then being colonized. How did the Wampanoag look at Thanksgiving? And, and what, what would you be doing on that day? Um, I think first and foremost, it's important to understand that the Wampanoag people have always been welcoming. Uh, one of the reasons why we didn't wipe out the English was because they brought their women and children. We never brought our women and children to fight into battle, so we thought that they had come in peace. Um, it's kind of, you know, ignorant bliss on our side, I guess. Um, and we were, you know, more welcoming and, you know, taught them how to grow their corn and their crops and to stay here. Um, we've always been welcoming people, and we still are welcoming people. Um, it hasn't really worked to our advantage over the past 400 years. Um, we're now witnessing uh, another pandemic here um, in the nation with COVID. Um, you know, so all the diseases that come through, we're still having diseases in these problems still mm -hmm. today. Um, I would say that you know Thanksgiving is a day of mourning. Um, the fact that our tribe only owns half of one percent of our ancestral territory. I mean, 400 years later, you know, we're still waiting for our fair share from the federal government and the Commonwealth, I think is pretty unacceptable. Yeah, and you know, I was just looking at Van Hedgeworth, you write about the division of land and taking what had been vast land that the Wampanoag had, dividing it up into like 60 acre chunks and defying the culture um, of these great people who didn't divide land that way and, and tax it that way. How has what did you discover about how life has changed for, for this tribe in the you know, century since? And how much of that culture remains? And I'll ask both of you that question, but I'll ask you as soon as you just finished doing this piece. Well, they are alive and strong. As the chairman said, very welcoming people. And as Frank James, who's a very well-known Wampanoag activist, who made a very famous speech in the 1970s, was dejected, in fact, from giving that speech publicly uh, at the time. But it, perhaps the best line from his speech was, befriending the pilgrims was perhaps our biggest mistake. Um, just, if you think about that and let that resonate for a moment, it did open up a long, slow, painful process of genocide, uh, taking of lands, taxation, ownership, things that were the antithesis of the very culture that American Indians and the Wampanoag especially prided themselves in. And, you know, Chief, and Chief Meeting, you know, you're young. I, I'm just looking at, you're, eight, you're only 28 years old. So you're, you know, a young man who's, who's growing up, you know, both in, within your tribe and in your culture, but in this country. And I wonder, what do you say to people who just want to move on, who just want to do the tomahawk chop at an Atlanta Braves game, who are like, why are you making such a big deal out of that? Why can't we just do Thanksgiving the way we want to? Including some younger people who don't want to deal with this history and especially don't want to deal with anything like reparations. Um, I think it boils down to this nation. I mean, look at all the monuments and all these people that we, you know, classify as heroes and our founding fathers. When you actually look into the history of what these people did, you know, uh, President Lincoln was one of the ones who had one of the biggest massacres, um, you know, of Native Americans in his time. 
Um, and he wanted to bring the nation together, so he decided to make this a holiday. Um, you know, I think that the country and the nation has played their part. Um, and we don't do a good job at um, putting out the accurate information. It's very one-sided. Um, and that's why we're here today, to put our story out there so that we can bring awareness to this issue. Um, I think that it's ignorance on a lot of parts. Um, but as young people, I believe that it's our generation that will make that change and start uniting our nation. Dana Hatchpeth, thank you for writing this very important piece. Hopefully everyone will read it. Um, Brian Whedon, Chief Brian Whedon, Chairman Brian Whedon, more accurately. Thank sure. you very much. Really appreciate you for being here. Thank you very much, sir. Okay, so that was from uh, jo Joanne Reed's show, um, the readout on MSNBC. That is from uh, Wednesday, November 24th, 2021. Uh, right at the end, they mentioned uh, President Lincoln and the execution of uh, Sioux Native Americans on the day after Christmas, uh, December 26, uh, 1862, during the Civil War. Associated Press has this article from December 31st, 2018. Uh, Lincoln ordered execution of dozens of Sioux warriors commuted sentences of others. Okay, this is what he's talking about. Uh, so if we look quickly at, at this, and we're coming up here on the break, uh, we'll go back to the phone lines another side of the break. Uh, so, so the claim is on social media, social media posts circulating recently stated, uh, quote, on this day, uh, December 26, 1862, 38 Native Americans are executed in the U.S.'s largest mass uh, hanging. The execution was ordered by Abraham Lincoln, President Abraham Lincoln, during, during the Civil War, which is 1861, 1865. Uh, so this is true, and there's numerous sources on this, numerous information you can research on this. Um, 38 Native Americans were hanged on December 26, 1862, as ordered by uh, former, well, he was then President uh, Abraham Lincoln. They say former President Abraham Lincoln, but he was president at the time, Abraham Lincoln, after the 1862 Dakota War, which also, which was also known as the Sioux Uprising of 1862. The sentences of 265 others were commuted. OK, a military. So here's what happened. A military commission sentenced 303 uh, Sioux uh, Native American fighters to be executed after deadly fights. White settlers and soldiers had with Indians Native Americans angry about the loss of their homeland and lack of access to food. Harold Holzer, H-O-L-Z-E-R, author of several books on Abraham Lincoln, told the Associated Press in a telephone interview that Lincoln reviewed, quote, every one of these capital cases, end quote. Now, according to reporting uh, by the Associated Press, the original trials were a farce, some taking as little as five minutes. In addition, the Native Americans were denied counsel, denied attorneys, and did not understand what was being said. Uh, after the review, Abraham, President Abraham Lincoln uh, decided there was evidence that 39 uh, Sioux uh, Indians were guilty of murder or rape during uh, the uprising and ordered their execution. The remaining 264 sentences were commuted. In addition, one of those sentences uh, one of those sentenced to be executed received a reprieve before the December 26, 1862 hanging of 38 Sioux warriors. Uh, 
Uh, Lincoln went against the advice of federal fellow Republicans in Minnesota who warned that showing mercy would, quote, carry a large political cost, showing mercy would, quote, carry a large political cost and that, quote, lessons needed to be taught, end quote, according to Holzer. All right. Um, you listen to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM Superstation, the future radio. I'm Michael M. Hotel. We'll be back in a few minutes. Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM Superstation, the future radio. All right. Call the numbers 313-778-7600. 313-778-7600 is the calling number if you have a question or comment. So right before the break, we were dealing with uh, the real history of uh, Thanksgiving and what uh, actually happened at what we've been told was the first Thanksgiving in 1621. Uh, and we've been dealing with uh, the National Day of Mourning also. Uh, many Native Americans look at, and some African Americans, I'm one of them, uh, look at uh, Thanksgiving as a National Day of Mourning. People that understand history look at it as a National Day of Mourning. And we talked about the National Day of Mourning that took place in uh, Plymouth, Massachusetts uh, on uh, Thursday, November 25th uh, also. OK, uh, we're going to go back to this other article from CNN in just a minute. And then uh, there's an article that I share each year from Indian Country Today, Indian Country Today, that deals with what really happened at the first Thanksgiving. We'll look at that briefly. Um and th this article came out originally, I think it was like 2012, 2011, 2012. So I usually uh, talk about this each year. There's more information now dealing with the real history behind the first Thanksgiving and how what we've been told was the first Thanksgiving is uh, inaccurate. There's more information now than it was like in 2011, 2012. Okay. Uh, let's go back to the phone lines. Let's go to um, Jatan. Jatan, welcome to the African History Network show. Tell us where you're calling from. Thanks for holding. Thanks for having me, uh, Mr. Uh, Inhofe Tap. And thank you so much for uh, taking my call and pronouncing my name correctly. Right. I appreciate that. Okay, no problem. <laughs> calling from Baltimore, Maryland. Oh, Baltimore, okay. Yeah, calling from Baltimore, Maryland. Um, to say it's a damn shame is an understatement. You know, I grew up with the mythology mm -hmm. of Thanksgiving. You know, they taught us in school. And, uh, they even had pictures. You know, they had <laughs> imagery to kind of go along with the, with the myth. Right. And, and we sort of grew up with that. And um, so did most of the people I know, you know, mm -hmm. my family and, and such. And it sort of morphed into uh, a day of Thanksgiving. Uh, but I've never, I can't say I've, I only recently heard about the day of mourning. Mm -hmm. um, since 1970? Since 1970, yes. National Day of Mourning has been taking place. Yeah, since 1970. Wow. Mm -hmm. Wow. I, you know, n nobody told us. <laughs> you know, and, and I'm just recently learning that, you know, in the, in the last couple of years, um, even, even 
even the way they narrate, I guess, the, you know, quote unquote, correction. You know, the ticker tape on uh, Miss Reed's show read the indigenous story of Thanksgiving mm-hmm. as if that's an alternate story. You know what I mean? As if that's not the story. As if, you know, the, that's not the truth of what happened. This happens to be their version of what happened. And, you know, like I said, to say it's a damn shame is an understatement. My question to you, though, is, okay, now I know. Now what? You know, how do I introduce this to, uh, you know, family members and, 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 you know, people that I know, people that I, that I encounter? Like Ms. Reed, Ms. Reed stated, you know, people don't want to hear that. They don't want to, they don't even want to hear about their own ancestors. They, they don't want to hear that. I don't, can we just, can you just pass us, the, yeah. the potatoes? Out? Who made the potatoes out? Can you just pass the turkey? Right. I don't, I don't want to hear that. So, so what, so I think. So how right. do we, you know, right. how do we move our community to towards uh, uh, a more um, honest and authentic authentic uh, uh, narrative. Right. Okay. So the way to do that, and we, and we got other calls too. So the way to do that, uh, I think is one, read these articles that I'm sharing with you. Cause this deals with the history and it deals mm-hmm. with a lot of history that we have not been taught. And it deals with, it ties in the native American history. Uh, there's a really good one from Washington post. There's another one I'm about to share that I usually share each year. Uh, and this deals with what really mm-hmm. happened at the first Thanksgiving, the Wapanak side of the tale. But a lot of what happened, there's similarities between the history of African people and also Native Americans as well. Right. And, 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 exactly. when, and when we look at the when we look at books like The First Americans Were Africans Documented Evidence by Dr. David M. Hotep, and I've had him on this show a number of times, mm-hmm. uh, African people were here even before Native Americans came into existence. We were here in this land and we call the United States of America right. even before Native Americans came into existence. So our, so our land was taken, Native Americans' land was taken, but there's also mm-hmm. an intermixing of African people and Native Americans as well. And uh, some, some of the Africans who were here when, who were already here when Native American, when, when uh, European settlers get here or European colonizers get here, some of those groups are gonna be reclassified as Native Americans. Okay, so uh, mm. if you if you don't understand that history, you mm. you won't know what happened to those populations and uh, deal with uh, name changes. Okay, and and then you and then also you're going to right. have um, you're going to have some Native Americans who were enslaved by the English and taken into England. Okay, that history uh, also happens as well. Oh wow! So uh, and one of them was Squanto because Squanto was the one who. Um, Squanto was a Native American who showed the pilgrims how to uh, fish and how to grow corn and things like this. But he was a Native American who was captured in uh, this land in the Massachusetts area by the English, taken into England. And he's going to be able to get away and, and come back to his people here. And he learns English. Okay, Squanto learns English. Right. So, right. so you're uh-huh. going to have these things that happen. Also, I encourage people to read uh, "African People and European Holidays and Mental Genocide" by Dr. Shaka Musa Barashango. 
right. uh, book one and book mm-hmm. two, because in book one, the first thing he starts talking about is historical roots of what he calls misgiving day, misgiving day. And he talks about the Emoja Karamu, which is the unity feast. And for African people to replace Thanksgiving with uh, the unity feast. And so, like I said, I'm not against us coming together with family and things like this on Thanksgiving day. Cause a lot of people are off that day. And you know, these are family members we may not have seen all year. Uh, and yes, we're going to eat things like this, but th- that's, that's different than this whole concept of Thanksgiving, et cetera. And yes, we're going to be thankful when we come together. I'm not against us being thankful for what we have and we're still alive and things like that. I'm not against that either. Okay. But that's different than this whole concept of Thanksgiving, which is celebrated to, uh, basically inspired by and commemorate that first Thanksgiving that we were told took place in 1621. And then the National Day of Thanks, uh, it becomes a national holiday in 1863, um, uh, declared by uh, President Lincoln. But it was inspired by Sarah Josepha Hale. And Sarah Josepha Hale launched a uh, 36-year campaign to have a National Day of Thanks. And she's the woman who wrote the nursery rhyme, mm-hmm. Mary Had a Little Lamb. That's Sarah Josepha Hale. She's known as the mother of Thanksgiving. We're going to come to that in just a minute. Okay, Jatan, uh, keep listening, all right? Thanks for calling. Keep listening. I I, I sure will. Thank you. Okay. We have have Theo on the line, uh, Jalen. We have Theo Broughton from Hood Research. Okay. All right, Theo, how you doing? I'm doing fine. Two things. One, the word reparations was mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. and there are a number of um, Native American that have a casino. Is that considered their reparations? And actually, give your uh, email. AHN show, at, you can email me at AHN show at African History Network.com. AHN show at African History Network.com. You can also email me at the the ahn show at african history network uh, at, at gmail.com the ahn show at gmail.com you can email me there okay yeah cause right. casino cause, 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 casinos you have you have some native american nations that have been able to get uh casinos uh their nations and they, they they've been able to uh get that you have different Native American nations, there are about, about 570 federally recognized tribal nations. Different nations have been able to okay. get different things. All of them don't have casinos. And also it's important to understand that the U.S. government has violated over 370 peace treaties as well with Native American nations yeah. also. Okay. So you, you have some of them that have been able to uh, get ca- uh, casinos and some of them may be some type of land and, and cash payments. All of them don't have that. And and compared to what they compared to what they lost, compared to what happened to them and what they lost, okay, casinos are not reparations. All right, now it it it, it was some type of they, they may have been able to get some, some type of compensation or something like that, but compared to actually what they lost, okay, they, you know that's not that. Now, uh, now the other part of it is you know you you're going to have some Native American nations that own African slaves. I've dealt with that numerous times. The Choctaw, Chickasaw, Creek, Cherokee, and Seminole Indians. But still, even when you look at that, they own what about one percent of the slaves in, in 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 the country. Okay, and then after slavery ends, you're going to have the Black Freedmen Indian Treaties of 1866, 
and some of our ancestors who were enslaved by them or in those territories like in Oklahoma, they're going to get land, they're going to get uh, cash payments, they get they become members of these Native American nations. And um, you're going to have an effort to push many of them, many of those Africans out of the Native American nations, like in 1941, when the U.S. government conspired with what are known as the five civilized tribes of Native Americans to redefine what a Native American is. And they stated you have to have one quarter, one quantum Native American blood. Okay. Now different now, but, but at the same time, even some of those five civilized tribes of Native Americans, even some of them, some of them are, you know, in bad shape. And there's been a fight to uh, the Cherokee uh, strip, the black freedmen around 2011 or so of their, membership status and they had to go to court and sue those, those descendants of the black freedmen sued to get their full status uh restored but all all the native american nations didn't own african slaves as well okay all right we're coming up on a break we'll hold you over for a few more minutes uh theo let you quickly respond you listen to the african history network show right here on 9 10 a.m superstation the future radio on michael m hotel we'll be back in a few minutes Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM Superstation Future Radio. I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotel. We're going quickly back to Theo Broughton for her closing statements here because we got to move on. We're almost out of time here. Go ahead, Theo. Is your show on after mine, Theo? Is your show on next? Do we have Theo on the line? Testing, one, two, three. Testing, one, two, three. Theo was there. Maybe she's on mute. Okay, take your phone off mute, Theo. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, uh, get, get Theo straight, Jalen. Just let me know uh, when we have her straight. We'll bring him back on for just a minute. Uh, everybody, check out this article here from IndianCountryToday.com. IndianCountryToday.com. This is one of my favorite articles dealing with this history. Okay. And this, this article originally came out like about 2011, 2012. What really happened at the first Thanksgiving? The Wampanoag side of the tale. What really happened uh, the first Thanksgiving, the Wampanoag side of the tale? Today, there, there are a lot more articles dealing with like the real history of Thanksgiving. This was one of the first ones. All right. And I've been, I, I used to deal with this, this one each year. Uh, so very quickly, now this was updated September 13th, 2018, originally November 23rd, 2017. But there was a, there, this was out even before then. Okay. Uh, from IndianCountryToday.com. Uh, this is written by Gail Curry, uh, uh, Tonsing. All right. Now, very quickly here. Uh, they asked the question, so what really happened at the first Thanksgiving? They talk about how uh, the way we've been told the story uh, happened is not really uh, what happened. Okay, so the Wampanoag uh, Native American nation made a treaty uh, with the uh, people on the Mayflower, with the Europeans on the Mayflower. We made a treaty. The leader of, uh, the leader of our nation at the time, Yellow Feather Massasoit, uh, made a treaty with John Carver, the first governor of the colony, the colony there in Plymouth, Massachusetts. Uh, they had they had their charter. Uh, they were still under the jurisdiction of the King of England. And uh, at least that's what they told us. So they could not make a treaty for a boatload of people. So they made a treaty between two nations, England, the nation of England and the Wampanoag nation. Because they had to make a treaty, uh, because when you study this history, 
the, the uh, those Europeans stayed on the Mayflower. They stayed on the ship during uh, during the winter. They had to make a treaty before they could come out onto the land. All right. And they made a treaty with the Wampanoag Nation whose land they were on. What did the treaty say? It the treaty basically said we, we would let them be there and we would protect them against any enemies and they would protect us from ours. Okay, so it was a situation. You watch our back, we'll watch yours. The 2011 Native American $1 coin commemorates the 1621 treaty. The 1621 treaty between the Wampanoag Nation and the Pilgrims of the Plymouth Colony. It was basically, I'll watch your back, you watch mine agreement. Later on, we collaborated on jurisdictions and creating a system that we could live together. Okay, now what's the mash P, uh, uh, mash P version of the 1621 meal? You've probably heard the story of how Squanto assisted in their planting of the corn. So this was the first successful harvest uh, and they were celebrating the harvest and planning. Uh, they were celebrating the harvest and planning a day of their own Thanksgiving. And it's and it's kind of like what some of the Arab nations do celebrate by shooting guns in the air. So this is what was going on over at, all right, Plymouth, Massachusetts. They were shooting guns and cannons celebrating as a celebration. They were shooting guns and, and cannons as a celebration. So the Native Americans, the Wampanoag, hear the shooting and they think it's a war going on, okay? So Massasoit, the chief, gathered up 90 of his warriors and they showed up at the Plymouth colony prepared to engage because of the treaty that they had entered into with the Plymouth colonists. So they didn't know it was, so they didn't know what was going on. It was a fact finding mission. Okay. They weren't invited. They didn't know what was going on. It was a fact finding mission. When they arrived, when the Native Americans arrived, it was explained to them through a translator that they were celebrating the harvest. So we decided to stay and make sure that that was true because we had seen in, uh, in, the, in other landings like Captain John Smith in, in 1607 in, in the Virginia colony, even the Vikings had been here. OK, even the Vikings had been here. And we know in North America, John uh, Caboto, Giovanni, uh, uh, John Caboto, Giovanni uh, Caboto, uh, John Cabot of 1497 goes into Canada in the eastern portion of Canada. OK, another European explorer or colonizer. So we wanted to make sure. So we decided to camp nearby for days. Now, during those few days, the men went out to hunt and gather food, deer, ducks, geese, and fish. There are 90 men uh, here. And at the time, I think there, were on, there, there are only 23 survivors of the, of the Mayflower. So you can imagine the fear. You have armed natives who are camping nearby. They, the colonists, were always vulnerable to the new land, new creatures, even the trees there were no uh, there were no such trees in England at the time. People forget that they had just lost. They had just landed. And this coastline looked uh, very different from what it looks like now. And their culture new and, and their culture. 
new foods. They were afraid to eat a lot of things. So they were very vulnerable and we did protect them. We did protect them, not just support, uh, not just support them. We protected them. You can see throughout their journals that they were always nervous. And unfortunately, when they were nervous, they were very aggressive. They were always nervous. And unfortunately, unfortunately, when they were nervous, they were very aggressive. Okay, so the pilgrims did not invite the Wampanoag Native Americans to sit down and eat turkey and drink some beer and things like this. That's folklore. Okay, it is uh, just myth once again to try to uh, distort the genocide that's going to come after that. Read this article here. It's one of my favorite articles dealing with this history. What really happened at the first Thanksgiving? The Wampanoag side of, of the tale, the Wampanoag side of the tale. And oftentimes we want to hear the history told by the colonizers, by the winners, okay, as opposed to uh, by the, those who were the victims, all right? So read this. This is at IndianCountryToday.com. All right. Now is, um, what? We, okay, I guess we lost Theo. Is Theo's show after, on Aftermind, Jalen? Okay. Okay. Theo Broton's show is on uh on Sundays, eleven PM to uh one AM right here on nine ten AM Superstation WFDF. Okay, uh if you like this type of information, you can register for the online courses that I teach on Saturdays and Sundays from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power eighteen sixty five to nineteen sixty eight. And understanding the transatlantic slave trade where they didn't teach you in school. We have a huge discount, it's like seventy three percent off. You can get registered for both classes uh, right now on sale for $70. It's right at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. They're regularly $230 for both courses. We do the sessions live. All the sessions are archived and recorded. You can go back and watch them anytime, even after the class is over with. Uh, we just posted the link here. Register for that. As soon as you register, you can start watching. And uh, we'll be back uh, uh, tomorrow. Also, you can support us. Dollar sign the AHN show through Cash App. Dollar sign the AHN show through Cash App. And through PayPal, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. Remember, uh, those watching on Facebook and YouTube, keep watching. We'll keep going for a few more minutes. Right now, it's correct for own behavior. It's not over till we win. We're kind of forever. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Peace. All right. Stand by, everybody. Stand by. Okay, uh, we're going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back. Stand by. Mental health and well-being have long been a taboo subject in the so-called African-American community. So I enlisted the help of mental health experts, thought leaders, and activists to help kill the ghost of Willie Lynch and heal from post-traumatic slave syndrome. We experience trauma a lot of times um, on a subconscious level. So sometimes something happens to us and we know that it's traumatizing, but we don't really recognize the extent of the trauma. They are emotionally constipated and emotionally obese. Because again, all the things that we experienced in childhood, we suffocated and we stored in our body. It's a time to kill and it's a time to heal. We've been haunted by the ghost of Willie Lynch and his doctrine of self-refueling trauma for too long. It's time for Willie to die. Die, Willie. It's Stop Speed the Ghost, L-O-X-D Block. It's time to kill the ghost of Willie Lynch and get out the Matrix. Check out my man Ron Life Speaks at DieWillie.com. HistoryNetwork.com. HistoryNetwork.com. Uh, that commercial for the Kwanzaa Shop.com. I'm the one that designed that commercial.
Um, put that whole commercial together. So if you like that, email us at thhnshow.com. Our current promotion is buy one month, get two months free. We have two or three more slots left. There's a couple more promotions. All right. Um, so right before the break, and we posted the information here so you can register for more online courses as well. Um, and we have the information at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. You can email me about it as well. We just posted the links here. We have them discounted uh, here, a special promotion. Um, it's going on right now for one or two more days. Okay. Somebody asked a question about $5 Indians. That deals with the Dawes Allotment Act of 1887. Okay. And this is something I teach about in my online classes as well. Uh, the Dawes Allotment Act of 1887, named after Senator Henry L. Dawes, uh, D-A-W-E-S, Senator Henry L. Dawes of uh, Massachusetts. And it was supposed to um, reallocate uh, about 138 million acres of land um, between Native Americans and, and Black Indians. Okay, the Dawes Allotment Act. And two-thirds of that land went to white people. Um, a lot of white people learned that. So the Dawes Allotment Act was like a... Um, Kind of like a census, and you had to get the names uh, and locations of, of Native Americans to uh, you, you put them uh, on the list and in, in the roles in the books, and so you know who to allocate land to. And white people found out uh, about this land giveaway, so they paid five dollars to have their names added to the list. Now you had to anglicize your name to be added to the Dawes roll. You have to anglicize your name. So this allowed a lot of white people to pay $5 to have their names added so they can get some of this land. Uh, it was sponsored by Senator Henry L. Dawes. Uh, it was sponsored in several sessions of Congress by Senator Henry L. Dawes in Massachusetts. And finally, an act um, in February 1887. Under its terms, the president uh, determined, under his terms, the president... Under its terms, uh, the president determined. Um, okay, the president determined the suitability of the recipient and issued the grants, usually by a formula of 160 acres to each head of household and 80 acres to each unmarried adult with the stipulation that no grantee could alienate his land for 25 years. Uh, the Native Americans uh, who thus received land became U.S. citizens, subject to federal, state, and local laws. The original supporters of the act were genuinely interested in the welfare of the Native Americans, but there was not enough votes in Congress to pass it until it was amended to provide that any land remaining after the allotment to the Native Americans would be available for public sale. Okay. There was not, there were, there were not enough votes in Congress to pass it until it was amended, until it was amended to provide that any land remaining after the allotment to the Native Americans would be available for public sale. The combined influence of friends of the Native Americans and land speculators assured passage of the act. 
Now, under the Dawes Act, Native American life deteriorated in a manner not anticipated by its sponsor. The social structure of the Native American tribes uh, was weakened. Many nomadic Native Americans were unable to adjust to an agricultural existence. Others were swindled out of their property and life on the reservation came to be characterized by disease, filth, poverty, and despondency. The act also provided that any surplus land be made available to white who by 1932 acquired two thirds of the 100 uh, of the 138 million acres uh, of land the Native Americans held had held in 1887. All right. So about the Dawes Allotment Act of uh, 1887. There's another massive land giveaway. We're largely going to be locked out of. Um, Massive land giveaways like that. Okay. Uh, I want to go to, I want to go to this last story here quickly to ran out of time here. Um, I did a special broadcast on Wednesday, uh, November 24th, dealing with the uh, verdict in the uh, Michael uh, Bryan murder trial for the murder of Ahmaud Arbery. And we talked about uh, guilty, guilty, guilty. Okay. I want to go to this clip here from NBC Nightly News. Because uh, we weren't on the air on the radio station. Um, they had shut down for the uh, shut down for the holidays, so they re air old episodes. But uh, Wednesday night, because the verdict came out that day, I broadcasted. Um, it was close to midnight. We broadcasted uh, Wednesday night um, here on our social media platform since we weren't live on the radio. Let's go to this clip. And found guilty of murdering Ahmad Arbery. The dramatic moment in the courtroom. We, the jury, find the defendant, Travis McMichael, guilty. All right, hold on. I want to go to, I need to cue this up. I was going to cue it up. Good evening. There was no self-defense, no lawful citizen's arrest, just murder. At least that's how a jury in Brunswick, Georgia, apparently saw it in the death of Ahmad Arbery. In their second day of deliberations, the jury found the three defendants guilty of chasing down and murdering the 25-year-old black man as he ran through a neighborhood. A person who fired the fatal shot, Travis McMichael, guilty on all nine counts related to Arbery's death. His father, Gregory McMichael, and neighbor William Bryan, guilty on most of the counts. Arbery's mother, who fought to bring her son's case to justice, welcoming the verdict tonight. In the end, a case that evoked a painful history of racism amid worries of an uneven playing field was decided against three white men in the Deep South by a nearly all-white jury. Sam Brock is at the courthouse with the verdict and reaction. A series of guilty verdicts that took about 10 minutes to read. Count one, malice murder. We, the jury, find the defendant, Travis McMichael, guilty. Ripple through the courthouse and the crowd outside. Demonstrating justice for Ahmaud Arbery could speak to decades of discrimination. I never thought this day would come but God is good. Would you know him as Ahmad? 
I know him as Quez. Yes. He will now rest in peace. Yes. Amen. Brunswick, Georgia will go down in history as the place that criminal justice took a different turn. The jury's verdict, guilty on 23 of 27 possible counts, including malice murder for the shooter Travis McMichael, who was found guilty on all counts. Felony murder, an aggravated assault for his father Gregory, who drove the truck, and the same for neighbor William Roddy Bryan, who helped pin Arbery with his vehicle and shot the video used in court. The defendants claiming from the beginning they were just protecting their community and acting in self-defense. Your client was convicted of murder. Your reaction? We're very disappointed with the verdict, obviously. But we have to respect that verdict. That's the American way. Do you think your client was conducting a citizen's arrest? I'm not going to answer that question. President Biden saying Ahmad Arbery's killing, witnessed by the world on video, is a devastating reminder of how far we have to go in the fight for racial justice in this country. With the family now celebrating the holidays without their son. So for the cheers, relief, and hugs felt by the hundreds of supporters. Unspeakable joy. I'm happy. I'm excited. Um, I'm overjoyed that God heard our prayers. There's also a painful acknowledgement that the joy comes from so much heartache. The verdict to me, I, it broke me down because I thought it could, you know, I have four sons. Could have been my, one of my boys. A battle for racial equality still underway. But on this evening, supporters say the scales of justice looking a little more even. Sam, any word on when sentencing will take place? The judge said in court today, Lester, that sentencing will be in the next several weeks. And the way that Georgia law is structured, the minimum punishment for felony murder is life behind bars, though it is up to the judge to decide whether or not to introduce the possibility of parole. Lester. Sam Brock tonight. Thank you. This evening. On All right. Okay. So that was from, um, that was from NBC night. That was from NBC nightly news on Wednesday, November 24th, uh, 2021. That was Sam Brock reporting and also Lester Holt. Uh, so sentencing is going to uh, we're waiting awaiting sentencing, and they were when you watch the uh, video of what happened, they were led away in handcuffs. Uh, there at the uh, sheriff's jail, they were led away in handcuffs. Okay, uh, go watch the broadcast I did on Wednesday, uh, uh, Wednesday, November twenty fourth, because we went through and broke everything down, broke down the charges. Um, and, uh, what they were convicted on, I went through and broke all that down. Now, there was an article I'm trying to find also here. Um, Ahmaud Arbery's mother, we posted the article, uh, statements from Wanda Cooper Jones as well about being thankful for the, um, thankful for the verdict. And, you know, this was, um, I mean, this was uh, tremendously emotional, you know, for his mother and father to have to go through and sit in the, um, go through and, and sit in court and and see the man responsible for killing your son and and all of this. Um, you look at this piece here from uh, CNN. Pull this up here. 
Okay, Ahmad Arbery's mother expresses gratitude uh, Thanksgiving morning saying, quote, we finally got justice, okay? Expressing gratitude Thanksgiving morning saying, we finally got justice. Worth is giving the people who All build right. it a solid foundation. Wealth is All right. Um, the, the mother of Ahmad Arbery expressed gratitude Thanksgiving morning. Uh, for the guilty verdict, for the guilty verdicts of the three men who killed her son, uh, calling the movement, uh, quote unquote, bittersweet, calling the movement bittersweet. Uh, she said, this is the second Thanksgiving uh, that my family and I will share without Ahmad. Uh, instead, in an interview with CNN, Okay. He said this in an interview uh, with uh, CNN. Let me kind of get that back there. Okay. All right. He said this is the second uh, Thanksgiving that my family and I will share without a mod. Uh, Wanda Cooper Jones told CNN uh, during an interview on New Day on CNN. Uh, she said, but this is the first Thanksgiving that we can look at that empty chair and say, quote, we finally got justice for you, Ahmad." end quote. Now, Wanda Cooper Jones' comment came the morning after three men, father and son Gregory and Travis McMichael and their neighbor, William Bryan Jr., were found guilty in the Ahmad Arbery's killing on multiple counts of murder among other charges. The word guilty was a word that I wanted to hear uh, 18 months ago, Wanda Cooper Jones said, and we finally got that word of guilty. Okay, so read this, uh, read this piece here from CNN. Uh, Ahmaud Arbery's uh, mother, uh, Ahmaud Arbery's mother, his gratitude for uh, gratitude Thanksgiving morning saying we finally got justice. Now the uh, the attorney, the defense attorney that you heard who said he was not going to answer the question of whether his client, William Bryan, was trying to um, effectuate a citizen's arrest. That was Kevin Goff. That was defense attorney Kevin Goff. Mr. Uh, we don't want any more black pastors in here. And there's a there's a federal trial coming up, federal hate, hate crime trial coming up. Okay, so um, I find it so he may not want to say anything because he can come up in the in the federal hate crime trial. But I find it interesting that they were making the argument in court that they were trying to uh, perform a citizen's arrest, even though they didn't tell them on Aubrey they were trying to. Do a citizen's arrest, and they didn't tell the police who arrived on the scene that. Okay, but here the defense attorney for William Bryan has asked that question, and he doesn't he doesn't want to answer the question whether or not they were trying to perform a citizen's arrest. Okay, so all right, well you can go visit your client in, in jail now. He's he's away since you can go visit your client in jail. All right, that's going to do us for uh, do it for us here. We have to get out of here. Uh, we're here Monday through Friday, eleven p.m. to midnight, and Sundays nine p.m. to eleven p.m. 
Eastern Standard Time, the African History Network show. Uh, if you like of information, you can support us also. Dollar sign the AHN show through Cash App. Dollar sign the AHN show through Cash App. And then also through PayPal. PayPal.me forward slash the AHN show. PayPal.me forward slash the AHN show. And at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. It helps to keep doing the research, stay on the air, keep broadcasting. Etc. Uh, this is our official Cash App account, dollar sign, the AHN show, S-H-O-W. These other ones here are fake African History Network Cash App accounts. It's not me. You donated to those other ones. Contact Cash App. Tell them to send you, uh, give you your money back. This is ours. Our, our tag is dollar sign, the AHN show, S-H-O-W. When you go to it, it says Michael and shows my picture. These other ones here are not me. Okay, we have to get out of here. Remember, right now, it's correct your own behavior. It's not over till we win. We're kind of forever. And we'll talk to you uh, tomorrow. Peace. Kwanzaa is coming, and the KwanzaaShop.com has all of your Kwanzaa needs. Order your Kwanzaa set today, which includes a Kanara, candles, a mat, a cup, the African-American flag, and a basket. Visit thekwanzashop.com, thekwanzashop.com. They have Kanara sets, which include a candle holder, candles, a mat, and a cup. Kwanzaa is December 26th through January the 1st. Add the early bird discount code for 10% off your order placed before November 28th. Visit thekwanzashop.com and place your order today. Thekwanzashop.com has all of your Kwanzaa needs to celebrate this African-American Pan-African holiday. Thekwanzashop.com Mental health and well-being have long been a taboo subject in the so-called African-American community. So I enlisted the help of mental health experts, thought leaders, and activists to help kill the ghost of Willie Lynch and heal from post-traumatic slave syndrome. We experience trauma a lot of times um, on a subconscious level. So sometimes something happens to us and we know that it's traumatizing, but we don't really recognize the extent of the trauma. They are emotionally constipated and emotionally obese because again, all the things that we experienced in childhood, we suffocated and we stored in our body. It's a time to kill and it's a time to heal. We've been haunted by the ghost of Willie Lynch and his doctrine of self-refueling trauma for too long. It's time for Willie to die. Die, Willie. It's time for the ghost LOXD block. It's time to kill the ghost of Willie Lynch and get out the matrix. Check out my man Ron Life Speaks at diewilly.com.